to another episode of the Roden Fellow Podcast. I am your host, Parker Owens from Morehouse College, joined today by my co-host, Marissa Stubbs from FAMU, and Alex Williams from the illustrious Howard University is producing. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing good, Parker. How are you? Good. All right. So also joining us today is Danny Lopez, owner of the brand Don't Settle Be Great and Don't Settle Be Great Workouts. Thank you for joining us today, Danny. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to shed light on this situation. All right, let's get right into it. So you're the trainer for two young women who attend American Heritage High School recently, who WNBA players recently came up and stood in support of. Can you talk a little bit about what the situation is with those students? So right now what's going on is the school had canceled a game of against their which was probably going to be their biggest game because the the girls, Jordana and Cotty, had wore, and some of their teammates had wore Black Lives Matter shirts. And they canceled also a tournament that weekend. So when I had looked into it, I, I started to see with the coach, the parents and everything, I, I dug deep into it because I wasn't going to put myself in those situations that I didn't know about. And what the, the school is basically doing is hiding behind COVID, saying that it's COVID, but the girls practice on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then Wednesday, when the, the AD knew that they were going to wear the shirts, there was a, a message relayed to the team and the coach saying that there's going to be consequences if, you know, these girls wear the shirts. And then the next day, their game gets canceled, but then they say it's because of COVID. So, I mean, it was it was a lot of messed up things going on. So that's when I, you know, started to get into the, the situation and try to help. And for those who aren't from the South Florida area, it's American Heritage High School that is having the issue. Um, tell us how you got involved, though, with the school. Like I said, I got into the situation. I saw what, it, what was going on. I read into it. I kind of talked to the players. They gave me a, a background of what it was. And I just thought it wasn't right. At that moment, I just went with what was genuine to me. And I just felt like I should help and stand up for them. And I felt like I had the resources to maybe help them, especially on the women's side, because I trained a lot of WNBA players. And I know a lot of WNBA reporters. So, and I know that that's, this is what the WNBA fought for the whole entire season. And they weren't going to even start a season if they couldn't fight for this. So I know the, the, the women of the WNBA was, were going to be behind it. And I didn't even force it on them or anything. They supported mainly on their own. But yeah, the more I got into it, I, I kept talking to the parents and everything. And I just was really getting deep into the situation because I'm in Miami. But well, at the moment, I was actually in Atlanta. But even me being home, I'm still about an hour and a half away from the actual Boca campus so I couldn't be there physically but you know I was getting information from all types of angles and uh who are the WNBA players that really rose up and tried to support these young women well first it kind of started with my best friend Erica Wheeler and Natasha Cloud Nat Achanwa they were kind of the first ones when I was putting on my page 
you know, commenting. And that's why Natasha Cloud kind of sat out this reason because of the social injustice, what was going on in the world at the moment. So them three were the first. And then Courtney Williams, Brianna Stewart, Diamond DeShields, Tiffany Mitchell, Stephanie Mavunga, Alicia Clark, Tattoo Sabali, Naj Laney, Epiphany Prince, and Amanda that plays for New York Liberty. Those were the girls that I saw on Instagram and stuff like that. Danny, you talk about just this movement and how WNBA players, you know, were really in support of this. So, like, how did that make you feel? I know you said you came into it and you just saw a need for change and you wanted to follow along with that. So how did you feel just gaining that support from the WNBA players, considering that while they were in the bubble, you know, their number one priority was to push for social change? I felt like it was big because... And I felt like it was big for me to stand up because I've seen it on a personal level of me training a bunch of them and them get overlooked as professional athletes. So for for girls in high school, I know how easy it is for them to easily be screaming for a voice and not be heard by anybody. So I never mm-hmm. asked anybody for anything, period. So people know that if I ask you for something, it's something serious. So, I mean, I, I, I talked to my best friend, Erica, and, and she was like, all right, I'm with it. Like, well, obviously she looked into it before she posted or anything. And she, she felt the same way I felt. We're, we're kind of like the same person. And she was behind it a hundred percent. The other WNBA girls were behind it hundred percent. And there's even other girls that didn't post, but they reached out to me and they were like, you know, whatever you guys need, I'm in full support of it. So I just think it's big, especially for the women's side that, you know, they're behind those type of girls and they fight more than anybody in this world just to be, you know, get a little bit of credit or notice. So for those girls, I feel like it's big. And they even gave them more confidence because I was talking to Tiffany Mitchell on the phone while I was trying to talk to her about the situation. And I was actually texting the girls at the same time and they were scared to wear the shirts again. And then I told her and she's like, no, tell them to wear it. Like, this is what they're standing up for. This is what is bigger than them. It's bigger than, you know, what's going on right now. So, and just that backing from those professional athletes has given even them more confidence. Thank you. I think especially, and Marissa, feel free to chime in. I think that when you're looking at the WNBA standing behind these young high schoolers, it, it kind of speaks to the player-driven movement that the WNBA has been trying to take in a, account of. Throughout last season, we obviously saw in the bubble that the WNBA, much more than the NBA, all of their social justice movements and all of their activism routes, they're, they're player-driven. So you see Mm -hmm. things like over there down in Atlanta with this runoff election, we've seen WNBA players openly advocate against Kelly Loeffler, who's actually a part owner of the Atlanta Atlanta Dream. So you see that they're not afraid to stand on their own on these issues. So I'm glad that they were able to reach out to those girls and encourage them and try to help out. Right. And I think we talk about just like encouraging young girls, because I know if if I was in high school and, you know, all this was going on now, where do you look for that support? Because like you said, Danny, at that age, you know, your mindset, so many of your thoughts can be uh, misconstrued and just misled. And, you know, you're here and you're there. But 
for them to have that support, that was definitely a great job by just the WNBA who, like you said, Parker, have continued this activism throughout the whole year. It was definitely big. And a lot of other people played in like a part into it, getting to where it's at. As far as like when I reached out, you know, people could have easily just said, okay, I'll look into it. But certain people looked into it and saw what was right and they felt that it was wrong themselves. And there's like, Sideline sources, Until Freedom, Complex, Yahoo Sports, Baller Alert, Revolt TV, T, Overtime, they all put the story out. And what is also going on is the, the school is saying that this is all false information, that the reason that they didn't play was because of COVID. But the timeline going up to it and the messages they were sending out, it just doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense to nobody that, that knows really about the situation. It doesn't make sense to the players, to the coaches, to the parents. To nobody. The only people it makes sense to is to the school because that's what they're trying to hide behind. As a school that has two campuses and you're a successful school, you should be able to, you know, you make a mistake and stand by it and just correct it. But for you to continue to stand behind, oh, it was because of COVID, but then the girls are playing four days later. How is it because of COVID? It right. Sense. They just, they just, I flew down here on Monday and went to the game on Tuesday. But they can't, their game was canceled on Thursday. So how is it because of COVID? It doesn't make sense at all. And none of the girls have tested uh, positive for COVID. And they even had that tournament on Saturday. What I understand is one of the games or the tournament was, you know, for a, a situation that had to do with cancer and the foundation and stuff like that. So just it doesn't make sense to nobody. Like, how do you practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then the school or the AD relays a message saying there's going to be consequences if you guys wear the shirts and they knew they were going to wear the shirts. And then Thursday, the game is canceled. If it was because of COVID, they wouldn't be practicing. Right. I definitely think, especially now, COVID is a distraction from just, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement as whole as a whole. We see like during the summer, like we say, the NBA bubble and how WNBA players and NBA players, you know, led the bubble with that social activism. But when we turn to high schools, like you mentioned, Danny, you know, it really goes to show who's in favor of this movement and who's not. And by them just blaming that distraction on you don't wear the shirts because it's COVID. I definitely think it was just great on your part to really see that it wasn't COVID and it was a distraction and we're not going to be distracted by this anymore. So definitely kudos to you. Yeah. And, and, and also the WNBA gets looked over too, because a lot of the, the movements that happen like during these bubbles, you know, a lot of the ideas were led by the women in the WNBA and it was carried on to the NBA also. So, but it's just the NBA and the players have such a more bigger platform that, if you're just following the, the men's side, you wouldn't know that maybe this idea or this movement started on the women's side because every NBA player has at least a million or almost a million followers. You have WNBA players that have like 4,000 followers, 10,000 followers, 50. Like some of the biggest WNBA players have like 100,000. So it's, it doesn't even match up. So it's easy for them to come up with something, but it's not on a big platform like the NBA and then it could easily get seen as the men came up with this. And it's not that the men are trying to do that because the NBA definitely is supporting the WNBA like 100%. Like everybody was wearing the hoodies this summer. Like it was a big, I feel the WNBA and I've been saying this for years that the WNBA is going to get really big and is there's a lot of young and upcoming girls that is the game is just getting better and it's, it's getting more noticed it's getting on tv so i feel like the women's side is 
it's starting to catch up. Not, you know, drastically, obviously, like the NBA, but people are starting to take notice of women now. For sure. And I actually want to use that point as a transition into a conversation about the NBA. Obviously, their season starting up Tuesday. And yeah. Marissa, this for you too. Like, how does the NBA keep the same momentum they had during the bubble? Obviously, you saw what happened with the Bucks. Um, and them sitting out of, of a playoff game. Does the NBA keep that ferocity now that they're not all together and in the unique space that the bubble proved itself to be? Right, Parker. And I think when we talk about just like keeping that momentum of this movement, the main goal here is to not lose focus. I mean, we watch, we watch leagues like the NBA and NFL, like how the NFL started their season off, actually, you know, continue that social injustice. But here we are, December and when was the last time you saw you someone kneeling or we don't we don't really hear stories like that. And so that's the main thing is that we don't want this movement to become a trend. And then once the trend is over, it's just everyone goes back to their regular life. So I definitely think definitely. With just definitely. the WNBA coming in, they're going to continue that movement because like Danny said, I mean, these women are powerful. They're using their voices. They're not afraid to back down and say, this is what I'm standing for. And that's just that. So I think the answer to that question is just not to lose focus, just to keep the focus on the main issue. And that is social injustice in America. Definitely. I, I feel that. And that's how I feel about this situation. Also with the girls is that school could easily say, okay, yes, we're going to work on this and this and this, and we're going to change it just to silence the situation and dead the situation. But are they really going to stand behind what they're saying? And that's why I've been behind these girls like I have been, because I feel like it's so easy to be silenced. And and even how you said, how they got to keep the NBA and WNBA and NFL, how they got to, it can't just be a trend. Like I felt a lot of people, because I had reached out to certain people and they were like, okay, I'll look over it or whatever the case may be. But then once they started seeing it on Complex and BT and all of this, now they're reaching out and then they want stories and a bunch of reporters hitting me. It's just like, you know, don't don't just get on something because it's hot. Do it because you generally want something. Don't do it because of the clicks or anything. I didn't do this for none of that. I didn't even know it would get this big, to be honest. I just wanted it to be seen and the situation to be exposed. And I just did it genuinely. And even with the WNBA players, I applaud them up most because they have way more to lose than, you know, an NBA player could have made already a hundred million and they're good. So if anything happens to them, they get cut from a team or they sit out a season, they're good for life. A WNBA player, they just, they're making 80 to 200 and something thousand a year. So, you know, they have things more to lose than the men's side and they still stand up tall. So I, I respect them to the utmost. Right. And the last thing I want to add is just we talk about trends, but I think this is really America's trend. Like it's not it's not the sports world trend. It's America's trend. And when we grow up in this country and we see things like police brutality and black folks being mistreated, the trend is there. You know, it's America's trend. OK, we're going to support this movement and then we're going to go back to our regular lives, like I said before, and just continue to hope that it doesn't happen again. But if this problem comes back again, Will the league start to, oh, social injustice, social injustice? So I definitely think, like we said before, it's just a matter of staying consistent and really just attesting to the fact that you believe in what you're standing for. Yeah, that is. I think that's the problem with this world, because everything now is so is so temporary. It's so here today, going tomorrow, and then you forget about it until it comes up again, like you just said. So it's especially with social media, it's just, you know, whatever's hot in the moment, that's what I'm going to go with. Oh, if this is getting likes, I'm going to become a part of it. I'm going to get behind it. But if it had 10 likes, then you would be thinking like, oh, should I get behind it? 
but now it has a thousand likes and now oh you're all for it so it, it's just you know if you really genuinely want what you're behind or you're just doing it because you think you can get some popularity or some clicks or whatever the case may be I think that's the biggest thing now is that not too many people are doing things genuinely out of their heart. They're just doing it because they can get some popularity or whatever the case may be. Thank you, Danny, for everything, man. I uh, appreciate you stopping by. All right, no problem. I want to um, I want to shout out the coach before because he stood up behind him when he could have easily got fired and been and he could have easily been silenced. So his name is Brett, and I just want to thank him for standing up because he could have easily been silenced, which they were trying to do and tell him not to say nothing, but he stood up for the girls when he could have been in fear of his job, which he told me he was and everything. All right. Like I said, thank you, Danny Lopez, guys. All right. No problem. Have a good one. All right. You too, man. Our next guest is David Handler, a graduate of Savannah State University and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Incorporated. And I promise this is an important thing to add. David's also a white man. And the reason that is important is because our topic is about Last week, uh, social media kind of got a little little feisty uh, when a young white woman posted on her Instagram that she was going to attend Spelman College. The caption of posts included several statements that while met with good faith, failed to meet the mark. She proclaimed her excitement about going to a school that was the home of Black Girl Magic. And she stated that while she did not know what racism is like being a white woman, she did make it a point to mention her struggles with mental health issues in the past as almost to equate the two. The backlash she received was strong naturally and many felt like she was feeling the role of the white savior. But I kind of like to put the question on you, David. What do you yourself being white student that attended an HBCU? Yeah, so first thing, I appreciate you guys having me. Definitely happy to be here. Happy to provide some insight where I can and just have a conversation. So for me, I grew up in Los Angeles my entire life. So I grew up around like a, you know, really diverse amount of people. So I've always just considered people as people. Played football my entire life. I got a football scholarship to Savannah State where I played quarterback there. And so there was never a thought process of like, okay, how can I adjust to an HBCU culture or lifestyle? Like I said, like people have always just been people being, I guess, a football player, a basketball player. Like I've been at times one of the only white players on my teams and stuff. So it's like, there's never been something to me to to think that I have to, you know, put on an image to act any different. I've just always kind of been myself and I've been able to kind of like always loved in, in different environments. So I think I love HBCU culture. It was so much fun. So it was never something that I had to like adjust or be any different. It was just me acting as myself. And yeah, I think it's important to note, especially that David is not the first white person to attend an HBCU. He's not the last. There's actually West Virginia State is an HBCU that is actually majority white. They're not black exclusive spaces. And the conversation that we're having is not about white people not being allowed in these spaces as much as it is about understanding the space that you're in. Definitely. And I think that's important for us to put out there. Definitely. David, you talk about just growing up being diverse and people were just people, but I want to ask you, like, who are the, the white guy on the football team, the, the white guy in the black fraternity? Like, how did all of that play a part? And just when you got to your HBCU, did you feel at home? And did you feel like it was a place where, you know, I can, like, succeed here regardless of whether any coloring, whether I'm white. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I, I think my background of growing up in Los Angeles really helped me. You know, I, I guess at the time people say they're a product of their environment. And so if I grew up in the South, you know what is my mentality would have been just based on how I was raised. And so growing up in LA, being around so many, you know, different groups of people, going to an HBCU was like, my biggest thing was just making an impact. When I first got to Savannah State, my goal was to be the best quarterback I can be, get the best grades I can have and have a good time. So I think for me, it was really just like, I'm a big, I'm six foot five, right? I'm a big person. And that itself 
you know, it's kind of something. So being a, a big white kid on campus, being a quarterback, becoming a white alpha, like all that just kind of equated to wanting to make an impact, you know, a positive impact. Right? I did work in the community, doing work on campus, you know, helping my teammates and stuff. So I think the biggest thing was like realizing, yes, that I could go to any space and just make a positive impact to others on campus and stuff. And so I think anyone, depending on your mindset, can can be positive for an HBC, whether you're white, black, green, blue, like it's just, it's about, you know, pushing forward and stuff. So yeah, I think just my background really kind of helps that whole thing. Right. And you talk about just you making an impact yourself. How has an HBCU made an impact on your life? So when I first got to Savannah State, I got there in uh, January of 2015. And I remember walking around, uh, you know, what we have, like where our plots are at and stuff. I'm like, what are these spaces? Like, what are these letters and different things? And so homecoming was amazing you know there's so many experiences at an HBCU that like you know it opens you up to just understanding the culture and the history you know learning just about the history of the university and then translating over to like like an HBCU homecoming and so Mm -hmm. of course that's always you know a lot of speak about it please speak yeah no no, there's you know there's nothing like it And, and I think one of the biggest things for me is always just proud alumni of HBCU like I'll always in my heart love my HBCU and so I think like I said like I just I wanted to find a way to stand out. My initial um, engagement to the possibility of Alpha came from wanting to make an impact and creating, really gapping a bridge between regular students and student athletes. And so just from having conversations with an SGA president who happened to be an Alpha at the time and just like nothing like, I just want to make an impact. And so that was my biggest thing going into any university. I think if I would have gone to a PWI, it would have been the same thing as wanting to make an impact, but then knowing at HBCU that I am different, it was like, okay, how can I really make an impact? How can I really provide that positive outlook on my university? And anytime I go to the airport, of course, I'm wearing all you know my HBCU stuff. And so, yeah, HBCU culture has been amazing. Uh, I had so much fun. You know, different things. Like I said, homecoming is like the the one of the course that stands out. But just the environment and and the love. And I think the really family feel that you get being at the HBCU. How would you say that you balance doing a lot of the advocate work and being a white savior or even a, trying to avoid being a white token? Because we know it's America. Nothing right. America loves more than a white token. <laughs> we could look at Eminem dropping that awful right. album yesterday <laughs> as a prime example of that. So how do you right. how do you kind of balance the two? Like you said, like I, I never went in with the mindset of like, I have to be the white savior or I have to be like the great white hope like that was never a thing you know it was just I think the biggest thing is you know it it comes with like respect and stuff right like you the way you treat people is how you want to be treated and stuff and so I treat everyone with respect and so it's like there have been times where you know I guess even becoming an alpha and stuff there's been backlash like for myself as far as like you know older people and then Facebook comments and stuff and like DMs and stuff but it's like I think a lot of times people get so caught up in the perception of looking at someone. And then I guess it will go into the conversation with the, you know, the young lady and stuff. But it's like, it was never something for me that was like, I need to be a white savior, a great white hope. Like it was just like, how can I be a positive influence on my community, be a positive influence on the university? How can I, you know, I've been in campaign fundraisers for the university where it's like, hey, David, we want you to speak here. We want you to do this. Like, sure, I'm always willing to just provide that help where I can to, uh, whether it's helping other students and stuff, but it was never something that was like, I need to do this to, to be the great white hope, or I need to do this to be the white savior. It was like, you know, nothing like that. Right. And I think in, intentions matter. And mm-hmm. and I want to state that I don't think that this young lady was going in with that intention. Yeah. It just kind of came off that way uh, based on some of the comments she made. I think that another focus that I kind of want to touch on is something that happened at Morehouse while I was at Morehouse. There was a Vice video that came out. I want to say my freshman year, this one what of- 
there was, a, there was a white student. <laughs> the video was titled, What It's Like to Be the White Guy to HBCU, which again, going into the white tokenism role, yeah. he certainly tried to like stand out and, hey, I'm this guy, yeah. I'm doing the great thing. Right, and I right, think right. like obviously it wasn't received well by a lot of students at right. a Morehouse. Right. He's still at the school, so I don't want to like say his name or anything, uh, but y'all can yeah. look up the video. How do you make sure that never like comes a point where, yeah, you're speaking yeah. at fundraising events, but it's not still make sure that it's not about you? Yeah, definitely so. Um, I think, like you said, intentions are, are very real, but also, you know, people's like perception is reality. And I think with both uh, the young gentleman and then the young lady, like I would say more the young lady. Her act to want to make it public was the aspect that kind of like throws it off. It's like, hey, I'm having to base something off of what I'm doing to then help potentially try to help others. Like, you know, with me, I just went to Savannah State. I made an announcement because I committed on a football scholarship, but it was nothing like, hey, I'm going to be the great white hope and I'm going to save the university and I'm going to do these things. Like, it was just like, I'm, you know, go have a great time, get lit, like, you know, have fun and stuff. I, I guess to kind of, that's a great point to say, like, I never wanted to make anything about myself. Like, and, and all the videos, like, of course, they want to show the diversity. So I think in a sense, it's, it's a lot of times the university's message that is promoting the diversity that we have. Yeah, we're an HBCU, but we have these students excelling in these different areas as well. But, you know, it was just never something to to kind of make about myself. Like, I, you know, when I graduated, like I won the top honor for a graduating senior. And like, that was an amazing thing. And through the work that I've done, but I never wanted to make it like, hey, I won this, like, you know, at HBC, it was like, no, there's just a, a student that did a lot of amazing things while he was here. And, you know, he deserves to win because of those things, not because he was the, the white guy or anything like that. So like I said, it's a big thing to not want to make anything about myself. And, uh, my last point to this is like, I think sometimes a lot of people will overanalyze the thought process of someone trying to do something and which, you know, through social media, kind of real, it definitely happens. But yeah, I just never want to do anything to, to make it about myself. And the last thing I just want to say, David, is just I know we talk about HBCUs and really the connections that you can make. So definitely. how have how has those connections that you made while in college just supported you in your postgrad life? Yeah, actually. So, so I just got a new job, new expansion football league called the Fan Controlled Football League. Quavo, oh, wow, Mike Tyson. Big. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a, it's, like a, it's a startup, you know, it's like an arena football league. We're actually going to be in an mm -hmm. isolated bubble like the NBA for three months. I'll be in Duluth on like a hotel for three months starting January 1st. But to tie back to your point, that job that I got came through a relationship with the SIAC commissioner who happens to be an alpha. And so when I was at Savannah State, I happened to be the student athlete advisory president. And so Savannah State was transitioning from division one to division two. So conferences came in and gave a presentation. So literally, I, I was like one of the students to be in that presentation room, listening, working with the university president. So that just relationship that I met someone who, you know, was in a sense helping to, to get Savannah State into a conference and then understanding that he was an alpha and just building a genuine relationship is kind of helping get to where I am now. So that's that's like the first point, because really, I just got this job a couple of weeks ago. So I, I guess that's the biggest okay. thing at, you know, at the moment. Well, congratulations. First and thank foremost, you, congratulations. You. And I'm just glad that you took that avenue to go down this route of going attending an HBCU and how it really benefited your life. So thank you so much for just sharing that. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, I appreciate it. And I think last thing I'll kind of say is like the, the generation tend to have good intentions, but it's like I'm very careful about what I say you know, who I say things in front of, do I post this, do I post that? Because I like to be 
political without being political. Like, I don't want to ever offend anyone and stuff. And so it's like, you know, there was one time I went to a, let's see, it was uh, my, my, my 2017, I crossed in spring of 2017. And then in that summer, I went to a convention, uh, Alpha convention. There was another white Alpha. And so we took a photo together, posted on Instagram. And I was getting like DMs, like, you know, you guys shouldn't be in the fraternity and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, sometimes you just have to be conscious. And I think it's just important to understand like the position that I was in to know that, Hey, I don't want to ever offend anyone a certain way just because I'm, you know, in the fraternity that people might think like, Hey, he shouldn't be in there. So it's just, it's just one of those things. Like it's very important to understand, you know, where you come from. And then also to like, just be mindful of, you know, things that you post because the girl I'm sure had great intentions and I'm I'm sure she'll do wonderful things. Like I'm no doubt about it. That she'll do wonderful things, but there's going to be people when she gets there, like here, here's this white girl that, you know, said these things on social media and now that her perception when she get there, you know, might not be the best. Thank you, David, so much for yeah. Uh, us, yeah, definitely. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. So, like we mentioned last topic, HBCUs are the best spot to witness Black growth and success. This year in particular, we've seen higher donations to HBCUs than ever before. And last week, we saw the impact that Mackenzie Scott had when she donated $4.2 billion to various orgs, including several HBCUs. So I'm going to kick it to Marissa real quick. What do you see the effects of those donations being? Right. These donations, first and foremost, they're great. I mean, just talking about HBCUs in general and the amount of funding, you know, they say we need for our facilities and to renovate really our classrooms and just our campuses in general. Overall, they just help us be better. And I think that when we talk about being better, you know, improving, like I said, our classrooms, our facilities. This money isn't just going to that, you know, it's going to go to money to help raise money for book or really to just like get all those necessary assets that they say we need to be great. And like you said, Parker, you mentioned the black success that comes from HBCUs. All those donations play a big part in that. So overall, I think it's great that she decided to donate this money and not even donate, but she didn't really choose like, you know, the most popular HBCU. She chose other schools. So it's definitely a great movement. Right. I think that's an important part. Usually when there are donations to HBCUs, they're often to my school, Morehouse. They're to Spelman. They're to Howard. You know, and some other HBCUs kind of get lost. She donated 50 to Prairie View, 50 million to Morgan State, 40 million to Norfolk, 30 million to Winston-Salem. Like these are HBCUs that are usually in the Pantheon and aren't usually the ones receiving these kinds of numbers and these this kind of support. So I think highlighting that fact is really important. And again, just huge that Miss Scott would do that and help out HBCU in the ways that she has. And like I said, this whole year has been about HBCUs. This has been the year of the HBCUs. And our own Ashton Edmonds actually highlighted this with an article on The Undefeated showing how big of a year it could be for HBCUs because Deion Sanders had a day on National Signing Day. Probably the best that we've ever seen an HBCU have. What do you see the impact of uh, National Signing Day can be for Coach Prime? And what can that program become, Marissa? Right. I tagged team on that piece with Ashton. And I mean, it was great. It was honestly a fun experience writing it because when you look at Deion Sanders and you see the, the moves that he's making, Jackson State University in general, I mean, Parker, this is going to be the HBCU that they have to air on TV. Like everyone's going to want to see what Deion Sanders does with Jackson State in their football program. So him picking up those recruits is really showcasing, you know, when you put the right coaches in the right places, there's no limit to what HBCUs can do. When you put those pieces into that program, I mean, that school is going to get recognition from everywhere. And that's just great for the, for the school, the university as a whole. And 
I think with Deion Sanders specifically going into next year, I know FAMU will be playing Jackson State. And honestly, a lot of HBCUs like I'm scared to play. I'm I'm scared to play Deion Sanders because his team, you just know, you just know how Deion Sanders is and his coaching experience. And I just know that that program is really going to benefit from him being there. Right. And I think another point to add to that is not only are the other HBCUs going to be scared, HBCUs are typically the games that bigger schools schedule in order to be down on someone and get an easy win. Oh, tell me about it. Tell me about it, Parker. I mean, that what I see, I already see it because they're going to, I feel like they will try to sneak in, you know, a school. I remember we played UCF for our first game and we got beat. I mean, it was not funny. It was not pretty. It, it, it just was an ugly sight. But uh, yeah, when they start throwing in these random matchups, I think that's going to be what's best for not just Jackson State alone, but HBCUs because they're doing, I feel like all these big schools that they're matching us up with, you know, they're trying to like reveal, like expose ourselves. Like, you know, these, you know, the talent is not here. The talent is not there. But if they put Jackson State team up, Deion Sanders team coach, I say he coached it two to three years and they put this team up against another uh, Power 5 school, I definitely think there'll be some top contenders. All right. And now for our final remarks. Last week, we saw Florida basketball player Keontae Johnson collapse on the floor. He was taken to the hospital where his grandfather said he was put into a medically induced coma. We don't currently know whether or not Johnson collapsing was a result of COVID-19, but that's not really the point. It had been reported that he tested positive early in the year. Even if it wasn't caused by COVID, it blatantly spells out the most obvious point in all of this, which is that our assumption that these student athletes are all in great condition and won't be affected by this virus are completely false. We take for granted because they are playing at the highest level. They're in great shape. We've seen guys like Hank Gathers go down with Gathers even pass away. There are issues that everyone has, and especially young Black athletes that we don't know about. We hear about someone collapsing on a college football field, and this is my point that especially close to the holidays, hold your loved ones tight. Make sure that all the medical advice that you can and understand what you're going through. And it also needs to be a reminder that no one is advocating for college out. Keontae Johnson's story wasn't the biggest story on ESPN or any news site, and it should have been. He's a major conference player that collapsed in the middle of a game. There are young kids putting everything into the business and they don't see the returns off of it at all. This season proved that amateurism in college sports is dead. And it proved that this is all about the money. And if it's going to be all the money, why aren't the students seeing any? So with that, thank you, Mercer Subs. Special thanks to our guests, Danny Lopez and David Hanley. This episode is produced by Alex Williams. Thank you to her. Special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team. You can get this podcast on Apple, Spotify, the ESPN app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Parker Owens, and I've been your host. Remember to get all of your HBCU podcasts by subscribing to the Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next time for another podcast episode, and don't forget to make the Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports, culture, and entertainment. Have a great week, and have a great holidays, everybody.